Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome along to the Short Baller Rugby Pass podcast, uh, our second week back, Melzy, third week of Super Rugby, but so much to talk about today on the pod. How are you, mate? I'm good. Very well, thank you, Simo. Lots to talk about. Yeah, what's been uh, what's been grinding your gears this week? Lots of things have been grinding my gears, actually. Yeah, especially back into the week. It's not very good, Ooh. is it? Oh, no. Look at you. You've got your angry face on. No, and now and then like, I've got to go to. I've got to drive the Hamilton to cover the game. This game tonight, so I do. I'm a little bit. You got to go to the Hamilton. That's what's really. That's what's grinding your gears. Yeah. Well, uh, of course, the big news during the week was a proposal that found its way into the public domain for this new format for a World League, a Test Championship involving 12 teams. So much to discuss in terms of that proposal and where we're at. And we're joined by uh, head of New Zealand Rugby Players Association, Rob Nickel. Good uh, afternoon. Welcome to the pod, Rob. Yeah, good afternoon, Wilson Scotty. Good to talk. Well, always good to talk to you, mate. And uh, what a week it has been for the game <laughs> of rugby union. And I know your organisation and the International Players Association have, have come out particularly strongly after this news broke around the proposed format. Rob, before we go back, let's look forward. Where are we at the moment? What are the next steps? Yeah, mate, um, look, the next steps, I guess, at the moment is we're sort of observing how World Rugby and maybe some of the national unions are, are responding and and just how the public is responding. And I think what we saw yesterday with World Rugby was a statement where they're kind of backtracking a bit, which I, I think that's what I'd do if I was them at this situation. Not that I would get into this situation, but I think it's the right thing to do. And I think I think the next step, and Mills will get this, is that the players are um, they're really calm and they're really open. Uh, we know there's good people involved. Uh, we're just asking for some respect. And if they come and they approach the players with respect, the players will be keen to dialogue and, and work together. I mean, Rob, you, you, you talk about respect, and so I know this has been a proposal, but what sort of involvement have you guys had uh, before this actually got presented? I mean, did, did any was any sort of notice of what players sort of knew of sort of how this was going to work, or was it just a case of, oh, smack band here, here's proposal, that's how it's going to be? Oh, no, no. We've had, um, you know, we've progressed over the years um, and, and the relationship with World Rugby has grown. You know, a few years ago, we had an MOU established between two organisations. We shifted the office smoothly from New Zealand to Dublin, got a good management team, including one Conrad Smith on board. <laughs> not and, bad. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's not bad. And things things have, um, have been quite good in terms of dialogue and, and growing that relationship. 
but we've we've constantly um, struggled with that kind of dismissiveness, that mm. kind of, mm. oh, here goes what we're thinking of doing, and we put the issues on the table, and, and it doesn't seem to get cut through. So, you know, with this particular proposal, um, it was put on the table with us last November. Uh, we gave feedback very similar to what we published this week on what the proposed format was, but we also gave feedback that we encouraged them and we thanked them for investigating what opportunities could exist in this space because we think it is a really good opportunity. We then organised for 40-odd players to sit in the room with them and go through the proposal. Uh, the players gave exactly the same feedback again. Uh, that was in late November. Then had uh, more communication with them in December and the same feedback went in again. <laughs> then in January. But every time, it's just, you see where I'm going with this? And then you know, when the guys the guys in the Dublin office met with them, not last week, or not this last week, but the week before, and they indicated that the timelines have been shifted forward, that we weren't going to have a forum that had been organised where we could really flesh out the detail and that they were actually looking to finalise it oh. in mid-March. That kind of really just... It just got under the skin of the players. And I think, you know, when we got all the players online and they started to really talk amongst themselves again about the proposal, we just recognised how deeply flawed it was. And we felt that, rightly or wrongly, um, sometimes you kind of got to stand stand strong and, and you kind of got to make a point to earn that respect. And, and so we felt we needed to bring transparency to this. We felt that, you know, behind the scenes and, and in the dialogue, it wasn't working. And hence, we did what we did. Rob, there's one one crucial juncture here that we probably need to discuss. And, and as you said, you'd, you'd had access to the talks around this, to the planning around this. But then there was one meeting, and, and I think this meeting is going to come back to haunt uh, World Rugby and, and the 10 top-tier unions. That meeting, we believe, was held in Los Angeles. And after that meeting, uh, I guess that's when the timeline shifted. What happened and where was the Players' Association? Yeah, so look, in November, at the end of November, what they agreed to do was establish a, a group which was made of the 10 CEOs, the CEOs from Fiji, because they were very much in the picture of that stage, and the CEO from Japan, and the CEO of the International Rugby Players Association. And we said, that's great. So that's the body that's going to, you know, mould this proposal and bring all the options to the table and, and flesh it out so that when we get all the stakeholders together, and originally that was to happen in May, including the clubs, the players, the national unions, stands our Six Nations lines, to really nut out and see what we think is the best option. That was the group to do that. Now, when they met in LA, they didn't tell us that the meeting was happening, and they left the Plaza Association CEO out, they left the BG CEO out, and they left the Japan CEO out. And, you know, when we did challenge them, we got slow. They were pretty slow to respond. And then when we did get a response, it was like, well, um, it was sort of we're, we're looking more at the commercial aspects of it, and it's kind of like, well, when you're working in partnership and you're doing through these things, like in most things in life, you can't pick and choose when it works for you. Mm. You're either working together or you're not, and so that, that's when things started to get pretty rocky. You're right. Mm. So, one of the big sticking points here, and uh, I was able to talk to Salala Mapasua and to Harley Tipol yesterday. Harley is the chairman of Pacific Rugby Players. Salala Mapasua, also on the board of that organisation, headed up by Aidan Clark. Uh, the response to the exclusion of the Pacific Islands, Rob, has certainly been a major talking point here, but not just in New Zealand, around the world. Yesterday, Steve Chu mentioned in his teleconference that he thought New Zealand rugby had a responsibility not just to its own stakeholders, but also to the region through the Pacific, Oceania, Asia and the wider global game. 
Now, do you find encouragement and comments from Steve Chu that A, they probably wouldn't have supported this proposal and B, they want to take a leadership position in the Pacific? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, um, it's really important. I mean, we can't speak for the New Zealand rugby, obviously, but, but you know, I'll, I'll emphasise that throughout this, we've been in completely open dialogue with them. They've been acutely aware of the issues, and we know that every time they've been involved in these forums, they have been tabling these issues. Mm. And, you know, quite possibly been a little bit frustrated that, uh, that I guess, the players were left out of key meetings. Um, you know, we've always had that good, trusting relationship there, and, and you know, long may it continue. But once again... We're not having a crack at New Zealand rugby here by taking the stance. We're more kind of saying, well, actually, we appreciate what you're doing, New Zealand rugby, but it's not enough and it's not working. And then, what, you know, to hear them come out like that is, is reassuring because it's exactly the way we, as from a players' association perspective, feel. I mean, our, our membership at Super Rugby and above is 70% Maori Pacifica. Mm. We mentor, we support, we effectively gave life to Pacific rugby players. Mm. We work with them every single day. You know, we really, really do care about the island nations and, and what their future prospects are. But more importantly, we care about the people. And, we, and, you know, they're such an intrinsic part of rugby in New Zealand and around the world now. I think they're around about 15% of the professional rugby playing base at least have some Pacifica um, link mm. or origin, origin in, in their backgrounds. And so it's sort of, um, you know, we very much see it's, it's not we want to help you out because you need a hand. It's actually we want to work with you to make sure you prosper and we prosper because you offer the game and you have given the game so much. And, um, you know, I think that's really important to note. I know, you know, there's a big push, you know, women in sport. We want to make sure that the women's game is taken care of through these new competitions that have been looked at and likes as well. But I often feel that the Pacific Islands' contribution and what they've given the game is overlooked. It's more kind of like, oh, what do we need to do to help out the Pacific? And I think that's quite yeah. philosophically <laughs> the point. It's like, actually... Um, we owe we owe the Pacifica an awful lot, and um, I think there's there's plenty of people that are starting to feel that way, and it's great to see some of the some of the feelings being expressed out there because you know I tell you what, the World Rugby might have talked about their consumer research, but um, I think we've done our own consumer research this week, and we kind of know kind of know kind of know what the fans are thinking. That's mm. for sure. Mm. I mean, Rob, Rob, just just to touch a bit more on that though. I mean, I know the New Zealand Rugby Union has come out. And in, in some sort of support support for the Pacific Islands, but really, I know, and it's always talked about. And yes, there are challenges uh, in the Pacific Islands, and and you won't get any disagreement from me the fact that you know they're an integral part of of, of world rugby these days with the amount of players um, you know scattered across the world. But but really, what I mean, it, it kind of just seems like another kick in the guts for them because what sort of legs do they have to stand on? I mean, there's talk of boycotting. Yeah. But really, when guys boycott, that means they don't get a pay slip, you know. So, um, you know, there's challenges in that. So there's never going to be that aspect. Guys aren't going to say, well, we're not going to go to the Rugby World Cup because of this. And so it comes back to, I suppose, the, the livelihood of these guys. They're not going to, you know, you know, what can they actually stand on to say, well, this isn't this isn't good enough? Because for me, as someone from that was born in the Pacific Islands, and, you know, it's often talked about, you know, it just kind of seems like, well, nothing's ever going to, be done? Um, I mean, what sort of support do they actually yeah. really need, apart from a rugby union, one rugby union coming out and saying, well, no, we, we, we want to see them sort of flourish? I mean, what, what sort of support, more support do they need? Yeah, look, great question, and uh, I've got a bit of a thorough response to it, so, um, so bear with me a little bit. But I'm, I putting, think, I'm just um, putting my seatbelt on, Rob, stand yeah. by. No, it's, it's good, it's good. It's, it's, um, 
So, you know, around the tournament per se, you've introduced promotion relegation. To me, it's still an absolute disaster from a Pacific Island perspective. You know, you put Fiji into a competition like this or Samoa and Tonga, you ask them to play the 11 top countries over, over, over every year, effectively. You know what's going to happen around the results. And when those players go back to actually earn their living, playing for club, they're going to be broken, so they're going to struggle as well. So mm. promotion relegation or not, you know, if you're not in the group to start with, then the gap to the second tier is going to be massive. You're going to go to a World Cup. You're not going to be up to speed. So the whole tournament that they put forward was never going to provide a solution for the Pacific Islands. The other point I'd make is that you'll hear a lot from World Rugby and the National Union about the investment we make into the islands. They've been doing that for 20 years, Mildy. Like We've seen it. I don't know how much money they've put in there. The thing is, is that, you know, I would almost argue that Samoa, Tonga and Fiji are not a lot further ahead than they were 20 years ago in terms of the relative placing. So I feel that the investments and stuff are done in a way which it basically enables the Pacific Islands to tread water. And, and, and that's, that's a problem. And, you know, if you take it to a high-performance analogy, if you want a different outcome, you're actually going to do something different. So if we keep doing what we've always done, there's a pretty good chance we're going to continue to get the same outcome. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the ideas and proposals that international rugby players, with the support of Pacific rugby players, have been taking to world rugby through the different dialogues is how we do things differently around structuring the money coming from Rugby World Cup in a way that can actually be independently available and pay to the players to play for their country. How do we set up a meaningful competition structure where the players want to play for their country and the clubs are supportive of them playing for their country Mm. in a way that they are playing in competitive games, but as they advance and develop, they are able to grow. So, you know, does that look like a second-tier rugby championship in the Southern Hemisphere that over the next five years might expand to five, you know, from four and four to five and five with promotion relegation? Like, there's options to be looked at. And that brings me back full circle to say, that's what we wanted to do through this process, is there are other options that are better than the flawed model World Rugby have come out with. Yep. And that's probably, in the conference call of the past, that was the biggest frustration is we've got some really good ideas that we want to bring to the table that we know can result in a better outcome than what we're currently seeing and have been seen in the islands. And I think that probably cuts to the chase of the whole thing because, you know, in driving solutions, you really do need to... Um, you know, think quite strategically and deeply, and if you continue to do what you've always done, you'll get the same outcome, and we don't want the same outcome. Yeah, well, there's a there's a money trail here, and we understand the urgency, mate. And um, you know, look, the, we've talked about the governance of the Pacific Island unions uh, so much on this pod and and through our other vehicles. I'm going to read between the lines and what you've said in your response to Millsy's question there, because you know the governance structures there certainly need to be re looked at and revisited. I'm sure the Pacific players are uh, helping in that process too. Rob, uh, will you now look to re-engage World Rugby fundamentally, knowing that I guess this plan is, at the moment, has been stopped dead in its tracks? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, you, we've, we've come out and we've made our views known and we've been very transparent around that. And I guess in a way, the ball is a little bit in World Rugby's court. Um you know, any conversations that will take place from now will be based on a, on a respect and a negotiation situation. And so if World Rugby are keen and they really do value the player input and player welfare, then I'm sure they will look to re-engage. And I know for a fact that the players will be very, very receptive to that. But, 
you know, it's just about it's a bit of time. Um, so there's been the odd message, and, and I think communication will probably kick off early next week. It'll be very interesting to see how and where it goes to. But um, but you know, the players have put a bit of a stake in the ground here, and it's not one just around this tournament. There's a much bigger picture at play, and I really hope the powers that be at World Rugby are thinking where this could go if they choose not to do. Uh, what we just talked about. Totally, mate. And finally, Rob, um, very sad news uh, here. Um, yesterday, the passing of uh, Mike Tamawaeta, uh, North Harbour and, and Blues player. Uh, I'm sure it's just uh, the most agonising time for the family, but uh, is there anything you'd like to say on behalf of the players, mate, uh, in the in the wake of, uh, of Mike's passing? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, our thoughts are with Michael and uh, his family and friends. Um, <laughs> Yeah, big week, but this just puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Hell of a tough, and uh, thoughts are with them, that's for sure. And also our boys who are overseas, uh, they'll get back this week, and great support structures ready for them and, and with them at the moment. But uh, hell of a tough and, um, yeah, sudden, shocking, tragic. Yeah, yeah we really feel for, for him and, and, and his family in particular, his daughter. Yeah, thanks. Rob Nichols, CEO of the New Zealand Rugby Players Association. Cheers for your time, mate, and uh, good luck as this uh, as this progresses with World Rugby. Thanks, Lance. Appreciate Thanks. it. Cheers. Thanks, Rob Nicol, uh, CEO of the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, also former head of the International Rugby Players Association. You, you know Rob well. Yeah. Uh, he can be a thorn in the side for world rugby, but this is an intense time. I, I mentioned yesterday on, on Breakfast News here in New Zealand that I don't think I've seen a standoff like this between players and administrators since 1995 and the spectre of the World Rugby Corporation yeah. uh, that came... Hot on the heels of that uh, World Cup tournament there. This is, I believe, a major turning point for the game. And I would add, I have sympathy for the unions who need to find ways to sustain their game. Mm. Uh, And big dollars tend to do that, at least in the short short term. But there are other concerns here, uh, and one is... Integrity, And at the heart of everything, you have to have integrity. And and when I say integrity, I mean integrity of competition. And and Rob's points around, are the Pacific Islands ready for 11 tests a year against top-tier nations? Is Japan? The USA certainly isn't. That's a joke. They will get their ass kicked for 11 straight weeks. In fact, I had a discussion with Tony Ridnell, who I really respect, out of USA Rugby. He's really ecstatic at the proposition of the US getting a chance to be here in this top table. And you're like... You know, getting hammered by 40 points a week is not going to grow your fan base in American sport. Well, whatever it might be. And look, with all respect to American rugby, which everyone on this pod knows I'm a massive fan of, but I just don't think that's the way to go. So where are we right now? I'm I'm actually a little bit... I mean, you you do. You talk about 995. Don't get get us wrong. I mean, we've come a long, long way from there. And everyone... You know, when you everyone knows when it comes to revenue, that's what you want a different a competition also, and as players as well. I, I, you know, you know for a fact they want to be playing something along those sort mm-hmm. of lines. What gets me is the correspondence. Like, how do you go from or non or lack of? How do you go from meeting and having these concerns, and then all of a sudden there's a meeting that was due and. Uh, Los Angeles. But you're not invited, you're not invited, you're not invited. And at the back end of it, oh, by the way, we've got a big deal on the table. Yeah, and we're bringing it forward. And the the other thing too, we've we've built a wall. Here's your wall as well. You sure you didn't have it in Washington? So uh, for for me, it's just, 
I don't understand why they've sort of gone about it. You know, they might as well have just signed it off and said, well, here's where it's at. Never mind the 40 players that was in the room <laughs> and the feedback that you've got. Um, yeah, but we haven't even touched on the player issue here around workload and around um, player welfare. Player welfare has become in some circles a code word for being soft. Uh, no. <laughs> no. And, you know, the, the notion that these guys are going to be able to play an entire season of Super Rugby, straight into three tests against three different Northern Hemisphere teams, straight into an expanded rugby championship, which crisscrosses the entire Southern Hemisphere. And and this is just from a New Zealand perspective. Then go north, play three tough tests against Tier 1 nations, and then play potentially a semi-final if you're good enough, and then potentially a final. Five games in different cities in five straight weeks. Mm. You do that once every four years. It's called a Rugby World Cup, and it's tough. And as you well know, Milsey, they're hard on players to get through, right? Yeah, big time. Now, I had a call from uh, a senior medical figure involved in the global game yesterday, and his words to me, and I quote, he said, really have I been as embarrassed about the international game as I am at the moment. This is a senior medical professional in the global game who said this flies in the face of all the medical research and current way of thinking about how we mitigate Mm. injuries in professional rugby players. Now, he said to me that there are professional rugby players now who are coming out and saying, I wouldn't wouldn't tell my son to be a professional rugby player. Now, so if you are the governing body, and we talk all the time now in all sorts of sports, by the way, about player welfare, whether that's mental health, physical health, and you go and put this plan on the table, forget for a second the fact you haven't invited the players' feedback on it. You have treated those players appallingly. You have basically said to them, ah, get hard. The money's on the line, boys. You're going to have to play. Mm. So that's inexcusable, really. Oh, not only that, it's... it's, uh, (laughs) It's just a dictatorship. Here it is. Well, we, we don't, you know, revenues all. It's that for me. Money's all, important. Money's We're, important. It's, it's and a it's, commercial it's, game. It's, it's important. It's, and and every, there's so many aspects of this that just doesn't make sense. You know, you're focusing on the 12 teams. You've talked about an issue about USA rugby, about Japan, whether they're ready. But then you've left so many out as well. So, and I, yes, so all it is from where I sit, it's just purely talking about the revenue. Then you're talking about the, the player welfare and things like that. So you, automatically, you, you probably won't even have a decent competition. So who's going to actually watch that? You well, go to the States where they get hammered, and who's right. going to watch that? Now, and some people have suggested, and look, we we, we can only imagine this proposal is not going to get much further, but even any proposal like this, people say, oh, well, you'll just have to expand your squads. <laughs> can you remember how much talk there has been in the last two years Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. New Zealand alone about having squads of 50 All Blacks and what the potential ramifications that has on the value, value of yeah. that All Black jersey. Yeah, yeah. You played 100 times for that jersey, Millsy, and I'm not saying... I'm not trying to take anyone's caps away from them. Yeah. But suddenly if you've gone from being a 36-man squad to a 54-man squad mm. in order to get through a schedule like this, then there are issues around the calibre of players who have been elevated to the pinnacle of their yeah. sport. There has to be. And the quality. I mean, if, if you're automatically thinking you've got a 50-man squad or maybe, you know, we've got five games in a row, you know, we're going to put guys out there that, you know, we'll just cover this sort of game. You know, well, I can, I can see like this, okay? If you're going to play the USA and Japan, well, look what happened in the, in the last time we played the Japanese. Now, I've, I've, I actually think it's, um, you know, relatively a good idea. The game's gotten a lot harder and, and, and faster compared to what um, when I was playing. But to have a 50-man squad year in, year out, I mean... It is. The worth of the, the all-black black jersey you know, possibly won't be as much as what it used to be. And yeah, <laughs> and then counterintuitively, you get an investment of, say, let's be arbitrary and say $10 million comes into your country every year on the back of this. Well, how quickly does that get eaten up? Because now you need two buses everywhere you go, oh, 50 hotel rooms, extra support staff. I mean, you soon eat that money up just in getting through the competition. Yeah. So where does that investment go in the rest of your game? <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, and it's a really hard puzzle. And, you know, Steve Chu fronted the media yesterday. And, you know, you could see he was sitting there thinking to himself, there are no easy solutions. And I and I agree with that. There are no easy solutions. Yeah. But I think what we have found out this week is that that is not the solution. <laughs> no. So, I mean, I, I wish them all the best um, because, you know, I'd love to see this. But, oh, man. What a clusterfuck of a week. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I do. I, it's very easy to sit outside the table and, and be able to comment on this stuff. It must be nightmarish being around that table oh, trying to put this together. And that's the thing. I mean, we love this game so much that we do yeah, actually we do. want something that, yeah. you know, that sees the best teams in the world yeah. sort of in one competition. But maybe this is a starting point you know okay let's let's hopefully let's get, get some sort of dialogue around this it involves everyone okay and now apart from us well here's one comment that was made yesterday that that kind of stuck with me and and I'll, I'll go back to the pacific issue um you know steve Chu made it very clear that you know if you want to be competing at tier one level you need to have structures underneath your international team to build depth right mm -hmm. i.e have super rugby teams or teams available in another competition argentina has one team in Super Rugby. One team. The USA has no teams in Super Rugby and a nascent major league, which is in into its second season. Is that building depth? Is that enough depth? And then if you take that same argument across to the Pacific Islands, and I, I know it's slightly cynical, but maybe if we'd let them play in Super Rugby yeah. 10 years ago, what I mean. they would have a case to say we've got the depth because yeah. we were able to keep our players down here, pay them to play professional club sport in this part of the world instead of flying them up to Europe by the bucketful mm. to populate French billionaire clubs. <sighs> That's another issue too. <laughs> Even that. I mean, Rob, I mean, Rob mentioned it. I mean, they, uh, 
for years, 20-odd years, they've been giving them money. I mean, that's another issue in itself and don't, where that's going. No, oh, don't go no. there. Don't go there. Oh. You know what we get like oh. when we go there. Um, Should we do a Bujalau watch quickly just to break this up? Yeah, mate. Do that. Murad? Should yeah. we do a Murad watch? Go on. So apparently Jules has been given uh, eleven games to pr- nine games to prove himself that he's worthy of his contract next year. Is that right? So yeah, if you're nine. Julie, if you're Julian Zavier going, whatever, dipshits. I'll be saying Pay myself, me out, I've, I'm got, out. I've got three games to, to, to <laughs> find out. another club. I'll be blowing a hammy and just going later. Pay me. Not only pay me, but they're not gonna pay him. No, perf out on the French government um dole as well. Oh, so, the old uh what's it called? The I old uh, Shamage. Shamage. But he can't retire now, mate. He's got what? Yeah, obviously, you have to make a bit more money. He's still young. Shamaj, mate, too early. Too early for that. <laughs> Cut the pity track. Ali Williams is still on that bloody <laughs> Shamaj. Oh, mate. <laughs> Where is he, by the way? He's supposed to be here. Mate, he had a hell of a good talk last week. I'm glad we've week. gone again. Second week in yeah. a row. Hey, Super Rugby, Millsy, here on the Short Ball today. Uh, we, need, we need to talk about it. At their back. <laughs> Australian yeah. rugby. Australian rugby. No one's, no one's, no one's well, actually picked anything well, up on this, eh? Well, you're, 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 you're fast to kick them when they lose, what, 50-odd bloody games against New Zealand teams in a row, but, gee, they come I, back. I'm sure we talked about it last week, didn't we? Or did I talk about it myself? Rebels are unbeaten. Rebels are two from two, and uh, they took care of the Reds, and last night took care of the Highlanders, although, geez, the Landers will be kicking themselves. They uh, didn't get that try in the end to win that game. No. Still, the Rebels are there, Um only the Reds and the Sunwolves uh, in that Australian conference at the moment still searching for a win. Sunwolves will get one tonight over the Chiefs, no problem. Hey, hey. They will. Chiefs are in disarray. I take no pride in saying that. You, you telling me the Chiefs are in a good state at the moment? Are you telling me? I tend to agree with you. The head coach isn't coaching. Yeah, what's he doing? Colin Cooper's the only head coach in Super Rugby in New Zealand who's not coaching. Is he just man management? I don't know what he's doing. He's but he comes to press conferences with a whistle around his head. How do you get one of those gigs? Um, I don't know. So, I mean, a lot of pressure on Tumbai Matson and Neil Barnes, who are now having to look after two portfolios each, I imagine, in their coaching team. And Tubbs is unimpeachable as a human being. I love the bloke. But I think that setup's pretty tough. <laughs> and, and he makes no, hey, he doesn't hide the fact that he's not coaching either, right? No. So, and when you've got, I mean, it's, it's such a hard game these days. We've got two. Portfolios each to those two guys. Yeah, man. Gee, I know. Uh, I can't see them losing though. <clears throat> Not tonight. Summers had been bloody good. The real deal, Marty Veal's back, mate. He's going to give them a team talk tonight. Like, talk about the Summers. What an interesting setup they have because Tony Brown's still technically the head coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scott Hansen is Hansen, sitting there yeah. in an interim head coaching role while Tony's with the Japan team going through their processes. Um, it's crazy. Corey Brown's up there. I know Marty Veal's up there. Very Kiwi-led, the coaching staff, mm. and a lot of the players as well, of course. But uh, they'll enjoy their time in the Tron tonight, the uh, Moondogs. I hope they go good. Um, but we were talking about Australian rugby. I tell you what, what's, what I've noticed, they, they love a tackle. They do, eh? That Reds team, I was down in oh. uh, Dunedin last week, Millsy, as you were. Oh. I love the way Brad Thorne's gotten that team together, eh? Man, and... They were melting people out. And you've got to think, too. He's almost, I mean, you kind of look at it in some sort of way. I mean, Thorny's sort of model is his sort of coaching thing around, similar to Wayne Bennett, like no stuffing around is my way. And he's gotten rid of people that has been very influential in a bad way, in some in some ways, with, with the group. And all of a sudden, this year, he's, now he's brought belief, hasn't he? And you, you just, man, and with, the, with some little bit of talent there, some, man, oh, 
um, his backline experience and the youngster Jordan out. In Jordan Bataille. Bataille. Oh my! How good is he, mate? He's only eighteen. He'd be nineteen Woo! this month. I'm going to Ric Flair him and right I, now. And so I'm liking the way he's. Uh, Thorny's brought this team together, but you know, also the Brumbies. Yeah, they lost. They got a hiding last no, night. No, Brumbies were shit last night. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but they were good against the Chiefs. The Rebels. I like the Rebels. I like Quade Cooper. Quade yeah. Cooper tackled last night. I'll tell you, Unreal. and he hasn't. It's almost like someone's gotten into his ear and said, "Like, don't do, don't you don't have to do too much." I, look, can we give him some much. credit for just maturing yeah, as a person? I like that. I, I he has. I mean, he's been through the mill. That kid. Yeah. Yep. But please, you know, you can never tell me that Quade Cooper has not had talent. Quade Cooper no. is a talented kid. He's got ability. He just needed to find a home. I think he's going to thrive down there. I hope he does. Yeah, I, 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 mate, he's already he started with us in a put roar. Put my hand up as the one New Zealander who likes Quade Cooper. I'd never boo Quade Cooper. I've never booed him. I thought we found him a really nice guy. Have you? Yeah, I have. He I've is off the field, actually, yeah, but, mate, Nick people Lee. are different beasts when they cross that white oh, yeah. chalk. Everyone's eh? a different beast. Do you know what reminds me? I sat, I sat down with Brad Thorne. I love Brad Thorne. How's <laughs> Thorne? He's like, hey, man, Zuma, how much money you like? <sighs> he's, he's just laughing away, and, and he was talking about White Crockett's books. He couldn't believe I'd written a book on a prop four Crockett. <laughs> he's laughing, and he's quoted in the book, Quacky tells a story about how Thorny just couldn't be bothered learning anyone's name in the team. <laughs> and, uh, and, and an incident where Thorny had to ask one of the players to tell a winger to stay out of his way, but he didn't know his name. Oh, so he just went up and he said, can you go and tell that ginger-haired winger to stay out of my effing way? <laughs> and um, that's how it was written up in the book. Uh, but Crocky's recollection, it turns out, differs somewhat from, from Thorny's, from Thorny's oh. account of the real events where he actually said that himself to the player. They were trying to close out a game. You know, the, the two-minute yeah. bell goes, so it's pick and go time. Yeah. And he said, he still didn't know his name. He said, it was a ginger-headed winger. <laughs> and he said, I literally just had to turn around to him and say, look, you ginger-headed he said it. Yeah, out of the, keep out of the. <laughs> I was losing it listening to him. He's such a champion, man. I. Uh, but that's the one thing I've noticed about those clubs. They they have gone after big guys who hurt you. Yeah. We have seen it in the UK. Big guys who hurt you. Uh, has the game suddenly taken another shift in terms of the size and power of the athletes now that are required? Oh, I think. From an Australian point of view, they've obviously gotten onto it now. You need guys that are actually intimidating, that are going to hurt you, that are going to say, well, if you take your eye off the ball, mm. just that one little bit, if you're coming around the corner and you're standing there, this big monster that's going to bounce you backwards, well, you're not all of a sudden going to keep doing that game. and get. But what we've had in the past on the Australians is, you know, those channels were relatively easy to go down mm -hmm. or, you know, you're getting mm -hmm. momentum. All of a sudden now, those you know they're stopping them, and there's some big mothers. Wow! Yep. I am glad I don't play anymore. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Ngani Lao Mape was uh, probably uh, on opening night of round three, the the talk of the town. He's got to be on the bus to Japan, doesn't it? Well, hopefully on a plane. Actually, be a long ride on a bus. <laughs> he, he's still got it, Ngani Lao. Oh, Mape. yeah, no doubt, no doubt, he's still got it, and and it'll be interesting to see. The mix of, because that was talked about a lot last year. That you know that um, the midfield combination. You know, mm. Crotty isn't sort of he, he hasn't come in yet. So Anthony De Brown showing some good form. Sonny Bill and Ma'a being at the blue. So 
the competition to, to get on there and sort of what part they play. Lomapes has been outstanding. You know, he got injured against the Argentinians last year mm-hmm. and then sort of lost his way a little bit. And so sort of that tends to happen, a little bit of bad luck and someone else is sort of taking your spot. So it just it'd be interesting to see what sort of role he plays. Um, you know, I think he, he, he should go. And this is only early days because I just think he's just an out and out um he makes things happen, you know. When you've got a blockbusting runner like that that can tackle, that's fast, mm. um, that can run the ball, and also you know get around um, guys, he fits all the uh, he ticks all the boxes for me. Millsy, I've got a question for you on the short ball today. Question: How would, how would you feel about a women's Super Rugby competition? I need to, I th- I. Th- I would actually encourage it. I mean, they, they do it already in um, in Aussie, don't they? Super and w? So yeah. why why couldn't you sort of add that on to um, to having something here in New Zealand? The only, I suppose, you know, it's sort of really how they make up make, make it all up with in terms of um, player numbers and sort of then you're looking at financially whether um, there's going to be support for them. But I'd welcome that. I would too. I hope it happens. I reckon it's going to happen. You reckon? I reckon. Uh, you know something. Happen. You know no, something. I don't, I don't know anything. Know. No, and said I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day, and we we're talking about the Super W, and I said, five teams here, boom, 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 four weeks straight final, boom, easy, totally easy. I reckon it'd be amazing. I'm in. Just going to throw my hand up for that. And uh, finally, on the short ball today, um, I, how do I put this? Well, I don't know. I don't know how to put this, actually. Best game of the year so far, undoubtedly that England-Wales game. We haven't had a chance to talk about it. I know. We, we haven't had a chance to talk about it. And I, I bring it up as our last point today because I need your take on something. England attempted 260 tackles in that game. 260 tackles. They missed seven. Wow. Serious? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. And close to 40% of those tackles were made on the high line, above the game line. Wow. Now, I'm trying, apart from losing the aerial battle, which they did, the kick game, I'm still trying to figure out how they lost. And I would say this for Wales. They made 160 tackles. They missed seven too. But you, um, is defence now going to be the winning of the Rugby World Cup? I mean, line speed, big man defence, is that it? You've got to have that in place? Or is there still a way that the attacking game, a freer, more expensive game, is going to break that down? Oh, I, I th- defence has always been massive. I'm intrigued about the how many tackles they're making. I mean, right. usually when you're making that many, the you're the mistake, yeah, you're yeah. Gonskis. Mm. But I've I've also noticed as well is is the fact that there's little wee sort of um, times and games and some stuff that's been analysed, i.e. the kick, the cross kick and things like that that they that the Welsh scored off. There's brilliant moments um, uh, in in the game that's it's also um, opening things up. So yes, the, the defence. 
I think it's the way they're tackling. It's it's being able to belt guys, and that's what we're talking about, how physical the game's got. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can make a tackle, and usually when you're talking about 200 or so tackles, a lot of those uh, are really riding tackles or the the, the attack has sort of won, um, won the contact. Nowadays, it, it's sort of seldom. So it's how teams are actually orchestrating uh, on an attack point of view things with you know a lot slower ball. Yep. Because the, the team that's best at, at negating the rush is the Crusaders. Mm. And we saw that in their game against the Hurricanes where the changes in depth on attack, the setup changed almost every time they yep. had the ball. Adapting, eh? You've got to be, a, yeah, you've got to adapt. And I mean, you put, probably put a lot of that down to Razor Robertson and Ronan Gara yep. feeding that information in. But that line speed defence is. I mean, it's going to be intriguing to see whether that is going to be the only option to win a Rugby World Cup. Who's going to be better at that and who blinks first? And the thing is, too, Scotty, is that line speed, it's fantastic, but you get it wrong just a little bit, man. And, gee, it all of a sudden opens everything up and it it, it goes from being a relatively good night to, man, shit one. (laughs) Do you, do you remember that at the Chiefs when, yeah. when, when Hanksy brought that defence in, and you guys are like, "Oh, what?" But the it's hell? the doubt. It, it is. It's kind of like well, it's, it's something that you're not used to, and then all of a sudden, you that little bit of a hesitation. And when you're not sort of when you're used to sort of coming up, up and out instead of out and out to in, you get doubt to big time. But if it's effective. You know, it's it's a different story, but it's just that down. Oh, I don't. Oh, no. Oh. What? And now, and that, and okay, which brings me to I promise, short ball today, a very final point. Is Warren Gatlin the smartest coach in world rugby? Oh, look. Oh, I, I mean, is it time that Gats got some credit here? Man, I okay. Well, we had the Halbergs the other day, okay. And yeah. don't get me wrong, I know Joe Schmidt has done a hell of a good job as a co- as coaching over there, but. Warren Gatlin, he's been in charge of the Lions. We've been dominated in in uh, South Africa, South, Dom- South Africa, yeah. Australia. Come here and draw on a series. He's taken the Welsh to twelve in a row. He's put the best coaching record. Yeah, and nothing. <laughs> Absolutely uh, nothing. He's pissing someone's cup of tea over here. That bloke isn't. Re- regardless of whether you like him or not, what he's done, particularly for the best touring side. In rugby ever, the Lions. I mean, come on, come on, Kiwis. He's come he, on. He terrifies me, Warren Gatlin. I think he is. Uh, look, and Joe Schmidt's the same. Steve Hansen's got a fantastic record. We all know that. There are some yeah. very smart coaches in world rugby, but it's the look in his eye that he just sits there and he goes, "Bring it on." He does, eh? Bring it on. Got your number. Even at the end when they won, he sort of looked up and looked at the scene that was on the screen. He's like, oh, better not show emotion. <laughs> You're really showing emotion in the changing rooms, that's for sure. Changing shit. He, he actually, you're not right. You know, I, I sat down with, with him over the New Year period and sort of it's interesting to talk to him about that Lions series and mm. some of the mind games coaches play. Oh, yeah. And he, I'm not going to, oh, mate, I thought it was a sitter. I thought it was a fantastic thing that he brought up. But it was just kind of like, Wow. He just wanted to rock things a little bit in New Zealand. Didn't quite. He didn't quite get it the way he wanted it. Um, but I was intrigued about what coaches do these days. Hey, eh? he's, oh, yeah. he's been more talkative. You know, they don't know what animal is going to turn up, but we do. You know, it's, it's such a great line. Eddie Jones blowing more smoke up his ass to give him bowel cancer, and uh, <laughs> and he just sits there back in the Welsh actually bite and go. And, and Mitch has done a 
Great job too. It's amazing when you step back and are not the head coach either. I mean, you talked about those numbers and defences, and John Mitchell, the defensive coach there is. as well. So, some great Kiwi coaches out there. <laughs> They're all out there. Man, maybe we could probably coach too. Actually, I can't coach. Well, hey, if Colin Cooper's sitting in there just maybe talking, mate, couldn't we do the same? Hell of a pay packet, apparently. In fairness, I'm undefeated as a coach. You didn't know that. Oh, what? Under what? <clears throat> the grammar two Bs. Oh, gee. Yep. What was 19, your, what 1997. Was, what was your role? I was a coach. What? Head. I was the only coach. So you had all the portfolios. I had all the portfolios. Do you know what I did? I just ran ran grids with, go, with <laughs> golf balls. <laughs> golf balls? Yeah, I had the best ball skills in the team. Oh, yeah, I like that. I had, this, I had this coach. I mean, I didn't know how to coach for shit, but it was fun. And I was young myself, and uh, I'd been forced to stop playing rugby, and so I coached the school team. And the 2B team is like, that's the ragtag bunch of boys, right? They yeah. are battlers and good lads. And uh, so I'm there on the field in the 2A, the second 15 at this particular school, you know, and they, but a bit of pluck about them, you know, because they're only one step away from playing for the first. And they had this coach, and I won't name him because he's a douchebag, but <clears throat> he came past me one day, and in front of all my boys, we'd done a fitness, yeah, you know, I was just running Henny Moors and bullshit on them, you know, it's just sweat boys. And um, he walked past me in front of all my boys. He said to me, witheringly, he goes, another fitness session, is it, today, Mr. Stevenson? Yeah, and my, my boys are like going, wowee. Oh, he just got burnt. <laughs> and I will never forget this, Millsy. We played our final on the same day as theirs at Sacred Heart College. Oh, yep. And uh, his team lost their final, but the Mighty 2Bs got up. Got up there. And as I was walking back to the car park, I passed this particular coach knowing that he'd lost, and I looked at him and I just said, fitness, sir, fitness. <laughs> you rubbed it out, eh? And that was it. That's uh, been the short ball today. Mills Mulliana, Scotty Stevenson. Catch all the action of Super Rugby on rugbypass.com. <laughs>